and uh, thank you guys, by the way, who, who served in VBS. Uh, I'm so glad you're here. I, I think some of us probably are, are at home resting this morning. It is exhausting, but it is a wonderful time of ministry. Uh, and so thank you so much for serving. And any guests that are here who had been with us through VBS and came to visit us, thank you. Um, the this, this sort of stuff you saw during the week is really who we are. We are a church who's been affected by the truth of Christ. And uh, he, the one who is the light of the world has shone and is shining in us. And we trust through us uh, as a church. And we're grateful for that. And we, we trust as you visit with us, you'll experience Him and His truth and His goodness. Um, I haven't said my name. Uh, so just so you know, if you're a guest, my name is Paul Buckley. I'm the lead pastor here. And I get to bring God's Word most Sundays, it's my privilege, and this Sunday we are continuing in Ephesians. We're getting near the end of this letter. We've been in it for about a year, and we're learning about uh, chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. And this is a section of this letter that really serves as a summary, a way of application for the whole letter. We've learned in this letter, it's really about the, the difference that the good news of Christ makes, the grace of God that's for us in Christ, the difference it makes in reconciling us to God Reconciling us to one another, uh, the fact that we're, we're considered and counted as righteous and we have this wonderful inheritance, the love of God is ours, um, but, but these wonderful gifts, these blessings that we have, have a real effect in how we live as well. So the, the letter really breaks down into two sections, all that we have in Christ and all that this means for how we live. And so this section is really a, a way to apply, to understand and apply those truths in light of uh, the world we live in that's full of spiritual battle and conflict. So that's kind of the background. And we're taking our time going through this because we want to learn how to apply this wonderful letter. We want to learn how to do spiritual warfare in light of God's truth. So we're going to look at chapter 6, verses, uh, actually just verse 16 in particular. Um, but before we do that, let's pray because we want to hear from God through His living Word. We want to be changed by His Word. So Lord, we thank You we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for Your presence with us. We thank You that we get to belong to You. And You are so compassionate and merciful and good that You would dwell with us. Why, Lord, we wonder at times, why would You dwell with us? And Lord, we know it's of Your grace because of who You are. So thank You. We invite You to rule and reign here and to, to draw our minds towards Your Word, Lord. Help us just to pay attention and listen to Your Word and as it's taught. And, and Lord, we ask You, Holy Spirit, as the Word is taught, would you, would you open up our eyes, our spiritual eyes, to see and to trust and to follow You. We thank You, Lord, that You have this in mind and, and so much more. We ask that You do all this for the glory of Your name. Amen. Amen. I'm just going to read chapter 6, verse 10, and then I'm going to jump down to verse 16 where we'll focus today. It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And then verse 16, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. It's God's Word from Ephesians 6, 10, 11, and 16. Well, in the fall of the year 1415, a long time ago, Henry V of England led an expedition into France to win his claim on the French throne. He was met on the battlefield of Agincourt, or Agincourt as we might say, 
uh, in the very north of modern France. He had with him 1,500 knights and 7,000 English longbowmen. The French outnumbered them greatly. Um, there were as many as 15,000 or more French knights and about 5,000 archers. But one grave mistake the French made in this battle is they ignored the English longbowmen. When they looked at the number of knights versus the number that they had, they thought, you know, there's ten, it's 10 to 1 odds. This is going to be a cakewalk for us. We're going we're to destroy the English forces and win. But they didn't take note about, of these English longbowmen who uh, used a bow, by the way, that was about 6 feet tall and had a draw weight of up to 145 pounds. Anyone here an archer at all? You know that 145 pounds is tw twice as much of, of the maximum bows pretty much. Nowadays, 145 pounds, they actually had to use their bodies to bend the bow. But they could, they could use that effectively. They could fire multiple arrows a minute that were so large and so fast that they would pass through a knight's armor, pass through the metal armor of a knight, and, and, and kill a horse underneath the knight. That's how powerful these arrows were. And the, and the French knights had heavy armor. They came in, and uh, they thought that would be enough. But at the end of the battle, there were only about 100 to 200 English casualties and 10,000 or more French casualties. They failed to account for the effective attack of these arrows. They had no shields to raise. If they had gone into the battle accounting for these arrows, had lighter armor so they were more mobile, and this a simple shield, they would have easily won the battle but they failed to account for these, this arrow attack. And this section of Scripture is calling our attention to the reality of an arrow attack. The enemy's use of flaming arrows and the necessity of using the shield of faith as an effective way to extinguish and neutralize these flaming arrows. We need to take note of this arrow attack and the equipment that God has given us in the shield of faith to combat, to extinguish, to nullify the effect of these arrows. So we're going to take time just to dig into this one verse and, and look at the truth of, in Scripture and the way to, uh, that God would have us apply it in terms of just the two categories of the flaming arrows. And, and in some ways this will be a review because we've talked about the different schemes of the devil. We'll go through that. And then I just want to talk about the shield of faith. In all this, I want us to recognize that we, we must always live by faith. We must always live by faith in all circumstances. That's, that's the lesson here in this verse. That's what I want us to take home from uh, today. So first, let's just talk about the flaming darts. Uh, um, in this section, actually re related to the idea of the flaming darts, you'll notice as you read the verse, it talks about taking up the shield in all circumstances. Do you see that? We are to take up the shield in all circumstances. So that phrase, in, in all circumstances, uh, is important to, to get. It's an important aspect of this. It doesn't say in some circumstances. It doesn't say even in most circumstances. It says in all circumstances. We are to take up the shield of faith. There's a reality in warfare that these flaming arrows are coming in all circumstances. They come at all times. It's not sometimes. It's not just certain times. They come at all sorts of times. 
And we must never let our shield down because we are always under the threat of attack of flaming arrows. This is really important to get, guys. The enemy is like a sniper. And a good sniper doesn't take shots at a fully protected soldier. A good sniper waits for a point of vulnerability in that soldier, right? That soldier letting his guard down somehow. And that's when he'll take the shot. Why, why waste a shot on somebody who's fully protected? They wait till the, the shield is down, the armor is down. And this is part of why it says in all things, in all circumstances, we are to take up the shield of faith. We live in a constant battle with arrows possibly flying at any moment. And sometimes we are more aware of our need for the shield when we, when we are impressing circumstances, right? When we know, when the, when the battle's there right in our face, when you know, it might be something we're, we're praying together for someone else, or we're praying about some situation. We're believing God. We're, we've got the shield. We're applying that to how we pray. Or we might be out sharing the good news of Christ with people, serving others in the name of Christ. Uh, we're aware, you know, boy, this could be challenging. I might get challenged. There might be things that are going to go on. The enemy doesn't want me to be a blessing and share truth, so I'll keep my shield of faith. We tend to do well often when, when we're in adverse circumstances or we're aware of the need. But often the attacks and failure that follow comes in our times where there isn't present need. We get sniped. King David. When did King David fall into such terrible sin? You, the Bible tells us of this awful sin of, of adultery and murder in his life. Was it when he was on the battlefield with Goliath? When, when he was in the caves hiding from Saul? When he was on the battlefield fighting the Philistines? No, when he was chilling out on his back porch with his shield down. A flaming arrow came. A flaming arrow of lust after Bathsheba and then a flaming arrow of murder of Uriah. So we must learn that we are to take up the shield in all circumstances. As we go through, as we focus on the shield part, I'm going to talk about what that looks like. So I want us to understand what it looks like. I want us to avoid a paranoia and a fear because that's not what this is calling us to. It calls us to faith. And so I'll spell that out for you. But I want us to get the point that it's in all circumstances. There's not to be any one point where we put the shield down. We take it up. We use it. We take up this shield of faith at all times because the flaming arrows can fly at any moment. And often it's in the times we least suspect that we can get an attack. So how are you doing in terms of that? Is there an awareness in your life? Look, I need this shield all the time. Or are you waiting until you've got a couple arrows stuck in you and then you're like, oh, that's right, the shield of faith. I do that a lot, by the way. Um, and I think if we're honest with ourselves, a lot of times that's how it works. Maturity, though, for a believer, means taking up that shield all the time. And not waiting to get stuck with a few arrows, but, but using that shield of faith in all circumstances to fight against the flaming arrows. Now, it's interesting, these are flaming arrows, right? They're not just arrows. Arrows are bad enough. right? Arrows hurt. Arrows do damage. Flaming arrows. Now, back in the day, on the battlefield, they would dip arrows in tar or pitch and, and light them on fire and fire them. And that's, of course, the, the image that Paul's drawing on. Uh, and those, those arrows, they were flaming. They, you know, the, part of the, the thought there was just to, 
wreak havoc and instill fear. It was a shock effect on, on the enemies. That's what it was about. But also, it could light fires. If there was stuff around them that was flammable, it could light it on fire as well. So, so it was both the shock effect and, and the damage effect that there was flame. Now, why did Paul use this to describe the arrows? Because he could have just said, you know, use the shield to fight off the arrows. But he calls them flaming arrows. And I believe the reason that he's saying that is that these arrows are not just simply content. They're not just simply temptations, but there's power with them. They're aflame. There's power in it. There's, there's an effect. There's spiritual evil. There's, a, there's an impact that goes beyond even just the logic of, of the temptation or whatever the scheme might involve. There's spiritual power here. So if we think about the different schemes of the devil that we've gone through and we've seen in Scripture, um, things like what? Temptations, accusations, uh, lies about truth. If we think about those things, uh, it's not just that a temptation is, is saying you know, this is good when it's bad. It's not just that you know, it, it's, the logic is wrong. The, the accusation of the devil when he says you know, you're a total failure, you did this, you're never going to go to heaven, you're you know, who are you to think you're a Christian? It's not just the fact that, that you know, he's saying something that's not true because we know through faith in Christ we are counted righteous, right? Even when we fail. And the temptation to believe a lie about Scripture, it's, just, it's not just that it's a lie. There's power that comes with it, right? It's like a flaming arrow. So when that, when that accusation comes, it's not just simply, well, logic would say that that's not true and, and then we're done with it. It affects us. It, 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 it strikes us. And it lights our souls aflame. There's a shock effect on us when those things come. The, the enemy's temptations come with power, with spiritual power. There's really no other way to explain it when we think about it and when we read through Scripture. Think, think about Adam and Eve. Their temptation, right? They're, they're in the garden. They have talked with God face to face. They've walked with God. They've, they've they're living in the creation all around them. The goodness of God is everywhere. They know it's all of Him. They've been told, you know, be fruitful and multiply. They are ruling and reigning under God. I mean, they're experiencing God. They're seeing His goodness all around them. It's obvious that He's gracious and good. He's, he said, just, you know, just do this one thing. Don't eat of this tree. All this other stuff, enjoy. And, and it's obvious that He rules and reigns over it all, right? So His goodness and His sovereignty are perfectly clear to them. Then the devil comes up and says, he's not good and he's not in control. Because the, the, he, he cares more about himself and not you. He's trying to hold something back from you so he's not good. And oh no, you won't surely die. It's, he's, he's not in control. He can't, he can't do that. So, so the devil lies about the goodness of God and the sovereignty of God. Right? That's essentially what he does. It's content. And it's ridiculous for them to believe it. Right? Based on what they see. Everything that's there. The revelation of God. It's, it's ridiculous. It's insanity. All the evidence is mounted against that lie. So why in the world did they fall for it? There's spiritual power that comes with those temptations. And so it was more than just the content of the lie. It's the, the oomph behind it. It's the punch in the gut that comes with it. It's a flaming arrow. Not just an arrow. And we need to recognize that. That there's power. There's spiritual power behind it attack. It's not just the content, but the spiritual power that is there. And we can fall for ridiculous lies because of that reality. These flaming arrows affect us. Have you ever had it happen to you? 
I have. And perhaps this series, you're just thinking, what a ridiculous guy. He struggles with all these things. But I hope by way of illustration, it helps you. Too often, I have fallen to flaming arrows. And, and it can happen in different ways. Often for me, it's in time where I'm preparing for some ministry opportunity or situation, and there's some sort of attack that comes. Temptation to doubt God and get discouraged. And, and usually, you know, it can happen all different ways, but usually something like this, it, it's just this thought, this impression, you know, things are going really bad for you right now in the church, and, and there'll just be some situation that kind of gets pointed out to me or comes to my mind. What are you going to do about that? And then there's uh, this, this sense that this is hopeless, and it's just going to get worse. So there's a lie about it. It's, it's, and then it goes further usually for me. It's, it's really, you know, you really don't, you're not really been successful as a pastor. This is really not going to work. Things are going to fall apart. So you ought to just get another job and go do something else. That's kind of where I could go. Now, it sounds like when I share it with you, I feel really stupid because, you know, that's ridiculous, right? I mean, the fact of it is ridiculous, right? I mean, God has been faithful to us over and over again. And, and He helps us. He cares for us in, in our challenges as a church and individually, right? And He's always been faithful. He's always brought solutions. He's always been there. And we can look at the history of our church, our Christian life. We can look at the Word. We can look at the history of the, uh, of the whole church. And that's what we see over and over again is His faithfulness. And so those lives are ridiculous. And, and yet, I buy into it, right? I, I do. I don't know about you, if this happens to you, but I buy into it, and pretty soon I'm down this pathway of like dread and despair, and it's, oh, it's all, this is all terrible, and yeah, maybe I should find another job, it's all over, we're going to fall apart, and I, and I enter into this ridiculous state. Why? Because it's a flaming arrow. There's power in it. Have you ever had that happen to you? Did it happen this past week? Yeah? <laughs> it happens all the time. We have this, and we need to recognize that, that there's power in it. And, and I say that because Scripture calls it a flaming arrow for a purpose, but I, I think in Scripture, and what God wants us to understand there is that, guys, don't mess with the flaming arrows. You don't want to try to like, take those on without the shield of faith. These aren't, I mean, maybe if they were just arrows, you'd be all right. These are flaming arrows. They're going to hit you, and they're going to light you up. So don't think that you can ever get along without always taking up that shield of faith. You need it. I need it. That is the way we extinguish the flaming arrows. It's the equipment that God has given to us to give us victory. Now this shield, to talk about the shield of faith, um, the metaphor is most likely based on the Roman soldier of the day. And the Roman soldier of the day had a shield. They had different shields they could use, but they usual battle shield, was a fairly tall shield, um, almost as tall as the soldier himself, and it was curved, made out of wood and metal, and, and then they would, they, they would uh, cover it with damp cloth to extinguish arrows. And this, this shield was tall enough to protect the individual soldier, but they also used a strategy, they would interlock their shields together. And by the way, that's the important context, right, to this passage. No soldier fights alone. They would have assumed that reading the passage. They would have pictured that. And it's funny, I, I, I've looked for graphics. I think there was a graphic we had on the title page for this section. And almost all of them, made by Americans at least, sh uh, show a single soldier on his own. And that would not have been what they would have understood. They would not even have conceived of it that way. The Romans were successful only because they knew how to fight as, uni as units together. And so we should have that in our mind 
So sorry if I'm not serving you with illustrations that show otherwise, but we should have in our mind that we fight together. Our shields are to interlock. And these guys would use their shields together to protect themselves, and they actually uh, would use it as a unit with shields over their heads as well. And it was like a, an ancient battle tank because they would be behind the shields, safe from the, uh, the arrows, and they would, could advance under those shields. Uh, it was very effective. That's the picture here. That's the idea here. Is this shield that's big and protects us from the arrows and is meant to be interlocked with others. And these shields in the day were made out of wood and metal and damp cloth. But what is this shield made out of? Faith. It is the shield of faith. It's really synonymous with faith. It is faith. It's the shield that is faith. Faith that is the shield. That's really what, what it's saying here. And so faith is such an important part of our life in Christ. And, and as I've said, this section of Scripture is a summary to earlier in Ephesians. And Paul talks about faith throughout Ephesians. It's, a, it's an essential uh, and basic element of the Christian life. Verse Chapter 1, verse 13 says, In Him you also, when you heard this word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Verse 19 of chapter 1, What is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe? Verse 8 of chapter 2, For by grace you have been saved through faith. Chapter 3, verse 12, In him in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Him. Chapter 3, 16, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you being rooted and established in love, and it goes on to talk about may know this love through faith as believers. We've been rescued through faith. We live in the state of faith. We experience the Holy Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance, the ministry of the Holy Spirit in us. As those who live in faith, we have boldness to draw near to God. We can grasp the infinite dimensions of His love all through faith. So what is faith? What does it mean to have faith? There are different ideas, I think, for the Word in our culture and in our language, but we really need to go to Scripture to understand the essential aspects of this faith. Hebrews is a great place to go. Hebrews 11.1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. Verse 6 of Hebrews 11, And without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. So faith is believing in things that may not be immediately visible. Right? It's believing in things that may not be immediately visible. So it's not relying on your senses. It's, it's believing in something that is beyond and bigger than just your senses. And it's about believing that God, one, exists. Verse 6, He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. Those are the two elements of faith that are important to get. We learn elsewhere in James that, that faith without works is dead. That faith is just, that is merely believing is not biblical faith. So it's believing that God exists, so you're saying yes, He exists, He's real, but that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. So there's an aspect of it, I not only believe in God, but I'm looking forward to that reward. I'm anticipating Him rewarding. I'm anticipating an interaction with God. I believe the truth, but I anticipate the impact of that truth in my life. I embrace that truth, more or less, is what it's saying. So I, it's not only that I believe it, but I embrace it. Uh, maybe an illustration would help. Uh, if I told you we're going to have cake and ice cream 
today after church downstairs in the fellowship hall. You could believe that I say it's true. Okay, yeah, Paul usually tells the truth, except when he's fibbing. Um, and, and so, yeah, there's cake and ice cream. I believe it. But it's another step to say, oh, cake and ice cream. I anticipate cake and ice cream. I'm looking forward to eating the cake and ice cream, which doesn't exist, by the way. I'm sorry. But uh, <laughs> it neither exists, and you, you can embrace it all you want, but it doesn't exist. <laughs> um, but faith, that's what faith is. It's, I believe it's true, but I, I also love that it's true. I embrace it. I receive it for myself. That's what biblical faith is. It's understanding and eagerness. It's agreement and anticipation together. That's what it looks like. And that's what the Lord gives us. That's what He works in us. It's a gift. Ephesians teaches us that this faith that we have in us ultimately is a gift. Now we're responsible to live in it, but it's a gift from God. This, this orientation to believe something that's true and to enjoy that it's true is, is a gift from God. It comes from the new life we have in Him. And it's so important to understand how it operates that faith is not the, an end in itself. Faith is a vehicle of looking somewhere else. So our faith is not in faith. So we don't put our trust in the battlefield, the spiritual battlefield, in our faith. Like, if I just have faith that's strong enough, if I believe hard enough, then the faith and faith will get me through. That's not, that's not biblical. That's not true. That's not the point. That's not how this faith works. We see true throughout Scripture. I, I quoted from Hebrews 11. Hebrews 12, where this section about faith ends, it ends this way. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, by the way, that's the, all the people who live by faith, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, doing what? Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. So, faith has as its object, not faith itself, but Jesus. So the point in it is that we are believing the truth about Christ and we are eager for that truth. We're anticipating that truth about Jesus. Our faith is in Jesus, not elsewhere. Now that might sound obvious and you might be wondering why, why are you talking about this? I'm talking about it because there are those who teach essentially faith in faith. That's about having enough faith. That if you just have enough faith, then things will happen. And I, and I certainly want us to have all the faith we can, but, but that's not how it works in Scripture. It's not faith in faith. It's faith in Jesus. And you don't need a whole lot, by the way. It's faith in Jesus. But there are teachers out there who, who, who teach, you know, if you believe hard enough, good things will happen. If you can just be positive, then positive things will happen. Some even teach that the act of faith itself, itself creates the things you're believing in. That there's actually creation somehow. When you believe it hard enough, it actually appears and happens. The Word of Faith movement, that's called. And it's taught as Christian truth. And if it worked that way, guys, you would not need Jesus. Because you just have to have faith. Now, faith is a powerful thing. It's an important aspect in Scripture. But faith and faith is not Christianity. Guys, it's witchcraft. 
because you're believing in a power apart from God. And you're depending on a power to get what you want without God at the center. Without trusting in Him. And that's really what witchcraft is. It's spiritual power without God. So, so faith in faith is, at best, it's just purely ridiculous. At worst, it's demonically inspired sorcery. And that's not biblical faith. So I just say it, and I know I'm speaking strongly because I, I want to shock you a little bit. Shock you out of an orientation of faith in faith. It's faith in Jesus. He is the object of our faith. And Scripture teaches us it only takes a little tiny bit of faith in Jesus. Just, I mean, the scriptural example is a mustard seed, the smallest thing that's around. Just think of a, of a nanoparticle. We can say a nanoparticle of faith is all it takes. Just enough that it exists. Just an edge off of not existing to existing. That's all the faith you need. Just that. Enough to say, I believe, help me in my unbelief. Because the power of your faith is not in the faith. It's in the object of your faith. It's in Jesus. He is the one who's able to save. He is the one who's able to transform you. He's the one who's able to work. Our faith is in Him, not ourselves. And it only takes a tiny nanoparticle of faith. It's maybe a, think of it this way Jesus is like a lightning bolt in power and who He is and all the difference He makes in our lives. And you can think, well, in order to tap into that lightning bolt, I need to build a huge tower on top of a hill. A giant radio tower, you know, metallic tower to, to get a hold of that lightning bolt. No. You just need a barely damp tree to attract a lightning bolt. You just need enough conductivity for the, for the lightning bolt to work. And that's what it is for us. He's the lightning bolt. We're just a little tiny speck believing Him but struggling even in our belief. He is the one. He is the reason for our faith. He is the object of our faith. He is the one who's the perfect man and the perfect God. He is the one who died and now lives forevermore. He is the atonement for our sin. He is our acceptance before God. He is our forgiveness. He is the risen One. He is at the right hand of God. He's the returning King. He's the one who's all-powerful and glorious. He's the one who's full of mercy and compassion and faithfulness. He is the Good Shepherd. He's laid His life down for the sheep. He is our Advocate. He is the righteousness of God. He is our righteousness. He's the firstborn among countless brothers and sisters. He's the sender of the Holy Spirit along with the Father. He's the Bridegroom of the church. He's the one who walks among the churches, among the golden lampstands. He's the one whose eyes are a flame of fire and who has the voice of roaring waterfalls. He has the keys of death in the grave. He's all these things and He's more. He's Jesus. He's the Mighty One. He's the Conqueror. He has overcome. And simple faith in Him is enough to tap into all the power of Christ. That's what the shield of faith is about. It's not about how strong your faith is. It's about where it's directed. Simply believing in Him. And He wants us to live our life every day in all circumstances believing in Him. Even with that little speck of faith. A little speck of faith is a mighty shield because it's a little speck of faith in Jesus. And He wants us to live in it in all circumstances. He wants it to be a constant thing. That's why we always are to take up the shield of faith. Actually, in Romans 14, Paul talks about 
the reality of living by faith. And in Romans 14, verse 23, I think we have it to project, uh, in the context there, he's addressing uh, the idea of conscience and scruples, the different things people believe and, and things, uh, just different things that, that people would understand as right or wrong that, that may not be right or wrong scripturally. An example might be uh, for some of us to, to have a glass of wine. For some of us, it, it, it's a temptation. It, we would see it as a sinful thing, so we avoid that. But Scripture doesn't say don't do it. Um, and so for others, we're, we're free. I'm, I'm free. I believe it's okay. I can trust God. I can live by faith having a glass of wine. But some people can't. And, and Romans 14 teaches us to be considerate of one another in those sort of situations. To love people more than we love wine, right? That's the bottom line there. Um, but uh, but the, the idea that's in there is that faith uh, is this principle. So he says there, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Now he's meaning in the immediate context, faith in whether wine or whatever it is is okay. Faith in God to drink that wine. But the principle really applies to the entirety of life. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. If you read through Scripture, you'll see at the root of, of all sin ultimately is not believing in God. It's not putting our trust in God. It's not believing that He's good and believing that He's in control. We disobey God because we don't believe Him. That's why we follow those things. That's why we react that way. That's why we snap at people. As Nick said in the call to worship about Paul, he didn't snap. That's why we snap at people. Because we're not believing that God's good and in control. Paul was, he's a weak man, but he was able to believe in God being in control. So he avoided these things. So, So when we don't live by faith, it leads us to sin. That's the truth. And so a key to living as a Christian is living by faith. Even though it's a little tiny bit of faith, we put our trust in Christ. We look to Him. We depend on Him. And we believe Him. We ask Him to help us to believe and to obey. They go together. It's important to understand that for multiple reasons. When someone is sinning, the root problem is lack of faith in God. They don't believe He's good. They don't believe He's in control. Or, or in that, they, they don't want to believe those things, right? They're, they're embracing sin and, and rejecting God. And so we are live in every circumstance of life with the shield of faith. Taking up that shield of faith. Believing God in all things. And it changes life. It changes everything about life. We are constantly living either in faith or out of faith. And whether the circumstances that press us are light and trivial or significant uh, circumstances, we're always choosing to live by faith or not. We're, we're choosing one way or the other. We're always interpreting our circumstances in light of faith or not. And it's, I want us to understand that this, this verse and really Scripture is calling us to interpret all of our circumstances encounter all of life in faith. When we bump into things that happen in our lives, we either live by faith or we don't. And circumstances happen of all sorts to all people. Good circumstances and bad. And sometimes relatively good people face lots of bad circumstances. And sometimes relatively bad people face lots of good circumstances. Circumstances happen. And what's important is living by faith in Christ, putting our faith in Christ in those circumstances to believe above those circumstances that He is good and He's in control. 
trusting in Him, trusting in His promises, trusting in His character. We, and we can approach any circumstance in light of this. Let me just give a couple of examples. Say uh, a good circumstance happens. You get a huge job promotion at work. You get double promoted and your salary gets doubled, whatever it might be. You can choose to approach that circumstance in faith or not. So what might I... Uh, Reaction in faith look like? Well, thank You, Lord. <laughs> thank You that I got this promotion. What a blessing. Thank You, Lord, You've given me skills to use. Thank You that You've helped me be diligent in those skills. Thank You for favor with my employer. Thank You, Lord. You're good. And now, Lord, lead me in how to steward this. How can I live by faith now in this, you know, the double salary and, and so forth? So it's by faith. We, we interpret that circumstance with the shield of faith, walking by faith in that way. Versus not by faith. Which might say something like this. Oh man. I'm good, aren't I? I knew this was coming. I'm finally rewarded because I knew I was working harder than anybody around here and much more gifted than everyone around me. Maybe like that. Or it could be another way. Maybe it could be this way. Um, uh-oh. I know the other, something bad's going to happen now. That other shoe's going to drop somehow. They probably promoted me because the company's going under and it doesn't matter because they're only going to be around for another month. That's what's happening here. Right? Do you guys relate? Do you ever do things like that? Just an example of how in faith, believing that God's in control, believing that He's good, believing in the promises that we have in Christ, we belong to Him and uses all things for good, we can approach in faith. And we can do it for bad circumstances too. So it may not be a major circumstance, but it could be a light one. Getting stuck in traffic. Right? Anyone here? Think that's a bad circumstance? Some of us I know are particularly tempted by that. Uh, getting struck, stuck in traffic. So the, the shield of faith is up in traffic. Uh, we, we might say, Lord, help this traffic clear up. Lord, help me to trust in You and not get frustrated. Lord, help that person over there who's really angry right now at me <laughs> to forgive me and to know You and Your peace. i got some extra time. Okay, I'm going to put in some worship music. Or listen to the Sunday message again. That might take a lot of faith. <laughs> so that's what faith can look like. Or, not faith in that circumstance, can be, why does this always happen to me? Whenever I'm late for an appointment, traffic shows up. Why is this stupid person in front of me driving so slow? That's what can happen. And we do that all the time. And I, I, I want to use those illustrations to help us to see that it can be very normal things. But it can also be heavy circumstances. And we learn to wield the shield of faith in the normal everyday so that we can face the difficult. It's so important for us to understand that. Guys, if we want to have the shield of faith when things are really pressing on us, bad life circumstances that challenge us, that hit us to the core, we better have practiced with the lighter circumstances. I've seen too many people professing Christ come up against some major life circumstance. I'm sure you have too. The, the tragedies that can happen. Loss of a loved one. Getting laid off from work. Long-term unemployment. Sickness. Death. I've seen too many people hit those things and all of a sudden, there's no faith. And they walk away. 
We don't want to walk away. We want to believe Him. Is all the reasons is to hold on to Him as He holds on to us. So take up the shield of faith. Take up the shield of faith in all circumstances. Believe Him and believe His promises. Believe who He is. Battle with that shield of faith. I, I love how Charles Spurgeon talks about it. Wielding the, wielding the shield of faith. This is what uh, this 19th century pastor Charles Spurgeon says. He says this, Now there is a sacred art in being able to handle the shield of faith. Let me explain to you how that can be. You will handle it well if you are able to quote the promises of God against the attacks of your enemy. The devil says, one day you shall be poor and starve. No, says the believer, handling his shield well. He has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Yes, says Satan, but you will one day fall by the hand of the enemy. No, says faith. For I am persuaded that He who has begun a good work in me will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Yes, says Satan as he shoots another arrow, you are weak. Yes, says faith, handling his shield, but my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Yes, says Satan, but your sin is great. Yes, says faith, handling the promise, but He is able to save to the uttermost them who come to God by Him. But I will have you after all, says Satan. No, says faith, dashing the enemy's jaws. He has said, I give unto my sheep eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any pluck them out of my hand. This is what I call handling the shield. Let the banker come up as we close. How are you doing with the shield of faith? Are you keeping it up in all circumstances? Are you learning to not let it down? Are you building habits walking by faith in Christ? His death and resurrection and all that we have in Him. And by the way, if, if you've yet to put your faith in Christ, it's an open and free invitation even this day, to turn away from relying on yourself and trying to get through circumstances in your own power, in your own wits, forsake self-effort, forsake sin, and put your trust in the One who died and rose again to give you forgiveness and victory. Put your faith in Him. Trust Him. How are you doing with that shield of faith? Are you learning to interpret all of life through faith in Christ? What step can you take? So before we close in song, I just want to encourage us to take a minute just to think, what step can I take? And that step could be simply, you know what? When I'm in traffic, I want to learn to pray. It might be, you know what? I've been trying to do it on my own and I need to lock my shields with some other people. Because it's pretty hard to do this on my own. I'm not meant to do it on my own. So lock your shield. Get in a community group. Build relationships. There's multiple steps that, that God might have for us this morning, but we're called to His Word. We're called to the importance of always walking by faith. Taking up our shield of faith to extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one.
Let me pray and then we'll take a minute and then close in song. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the gift of faith. And I pray You'd help us, Lord, to walk taking up the shield of faith in all circumstances. To do that together in You. Because of You. Not because of us. Not because of our strength. But because of who You are. So teach us. And I pray, Lord, for each one of us and for us as a church that we would extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Lord, we would grow in You in this area and experience victory by You, Lord Jesus, by Your victory. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.